I'd like to start a Dharma talk by taking refuge, and you're welcome uh, to do this yourself if you'd like. I take refuge in the Buddha, the awakened nature of all beings. I take refuge in the Dharma, true suchness. I take refuge in Sangha, the community of living beings practicing the way together. Oh, hi again. Uh, this, I'm going through the teachings of the five great elements. Uh, so this talk is a talk about the water elements. Um, and I'm going to break the water element up into two talks. So this talk I wanted to focus primarily on ways that analogies of bodies of water is used uh, throughout the Buddhist tradition uh, and, and like the reason for them. So we explored that a little bit in the guided meditation if you were here for the meditations um, portion. And then next week I want to talk more about the emotional or feeling uh, component of the water elements like the waters of compassion. So this side, the today's, will skew a little more towards the wisdom side of practice, and then next week will skew a little more towards the compassion side of practice. And sometimes I don't like to divide them up in that kind of such a dualistic way, and sometimes it can be helpful or skillful. So... <clears throat> I also want to talk a little bit about how the water element pertains to um, embodiment. So first, in the Taoist tradition, um, there's a quote or a saying that water is considered most like the Tao. So of all the elements, water is considered most like the Tao. And there's a line in the Tao Te Ching of water being, being humble. It, it flows down and it can cut through even rock, it can cut through the hardest of surfaces with its persistence and weightiness and continuity. Water is strong and water is humble. And that's one of the qualities that the Taoists just love to point out about water, this, uh, this strength in humility, strength in humility strength in letting go, strength in flowing with what is. So water can wear away rock, and I've been intrigued by this. I actually, like, in my undergrad was an, an earth scientist, so studied uh, geology and geography, and um, I don't know if any of you have been to the Scablands in Washington. Kenyo and I are planning a trip out there in the next couple of weeks. And there is a place where you see just like how um, a massive amount of water over a short period of time has like carved out this entire landscape, these entire canyons that didn't used to be there until this massive water event that's now mostly gone. <laughs> and just leaves in its trace this, this canyon, these scablands, as they're called. So water itself, as it's flowing, as it may be causing seeming destruction to our human-built cities and 
massive geology, it's not trying to cause harm. Water is simply flows. Water reminds us that life is flowing. And that's like such a big teaching you find in the Buddhist tradition. This um, invitation to notice flow, to notice the, the changing nature of experience, be it body sensations, thoughts, emotions, which is more of our internal, like felt sense, moment to moment experience, but then also to notice the larger arcs of flow, which we are all a part of. So the ebbs and flows of our energy levels, states of mind, productivity, activity, rest, the flow of human systems, economy, business, cash flow, the flow of relationships, connection, separation, collaboration, conflict, the flow of seasons, weather, the movement of the planet, the flow of ideas, beliefs, innovation, creativity, art, music, meaning. If we remember that that life, like living things are are flowing, are are like to be alive is this this constantly evolving, changing process. Like we can remember like, oh yeah, like cash will flow. <laughs> the economy will flow. There will be ebbs and flows, ups and downs. Relationships will flow. They're dynamic. They're alive. There will be periods of connection and periods of separation and periods of conflict and periods of co- collaboration. And this is part of the invitation of flow. So sometimes... I feel in the Buddhist tradition, like we use the word impermanence. That's like the bigger word for this, a more Buddhist-y word for this concept of flow. And it can sound a little depressing to some people. It's like, oh gosh, like you're talking about how everything is just going away. Just going away, going away, going away. But it's all actually like an invitation to see like everything is alive, which means it's a dynamic and it's, it's not stagnant. And so, yes, it's changing, but it's changing in all these different kinds of ways. And so when we're in a period where there's more more of a lull, a lull, more of a period of maybe unproductivity or rest or, or restlessness, like remembering like, oh yeah, that's part of the flow of life. There are these periods that look like anxiety and there are these periods that feel like busyness and there are these periods that are more simple or feel fallow compared to the other periods. <clears throat> Living waters are, are constantly being rejuvenated So in order for a body of water to be, maintain a kind of life and support life and um, be healthy, there's activity. It's connected to a source of activity, a source of movement. So there's this dynamic in in this analogy of water, of, 
of stillness and flow. And we'll, we'll explore that a little bit more. I also want to say, like, you know, I mentioned this in the meditation, water, it really invites us into our own bodies and the body of the earth. And I was like looking at like, how, how much um, is the human body composed of water? You know, like each cell holds water and it's like up to 60% of the adult human body is water and that differs like amongst people, that's the average. <clears throat> and then also like uh, some statistics I found was that the brain and heart are composed of 73% water. The lungs about 83% water. The skin 64% water. Muscles and kidneys 79% water. And even the bones are watery, 31% water. Sometimes that helps me to just like sink in like, whoa. My lungs are 83% water. I think of the lungs as being connected to the air element. But they're watery. And I don't, I don't know, this can be weird for some people, so I didn't say it during the meditation, but it can be interesting to just like feel the water in the body, like feel the body as almost like a bag of water. Somebody gave that to me once. I was, I was doing... Um, Sanzen or one-on-one interview during a retreat and somebody came in they're like I feel like a camelback and I was like a little taken back I'm like what <laughs> like I just feel like a bag of water <laughs> but it's an interesting it's an interesting meditation like sometimes we have so much habit around relating to the body in a particular way and you know, so many of us have a lot of judgment around certain parts of the body either not feeling the way we want them to feel or you know, not being able to do what we want them to do or looking the way that we want them to look. And so we can like enter embodiment with like just a lot of, of baggage, a lot of thoughts, a lot of judgments, a lot of fixed beliefs about the way things should be or could be. And, and in a meditation, we're invited, we'll just feel the sensations of the body. And of course, that can really kick up those voices. So sometimes it can be helpful to bring in an image. And I'll suggest some other images, but there's an image right there of like, oh, can I just feel the body as a bag of water? <laughs> kind of this holding 60% water. And like even move. I was in a dance class once and we were invited to move as if we were like moving a bag of water and just like letting the water pool in different places. And just feeling even, just feeling the breath, like moving the body, feeling that as like water expanding out. It's, it can be an interesting meditation too and just feeling one of the things I've been interested in in terms of embodiment in meditation is feeling like that the edges and and um, like nooks and crannies of the body is one way I've been saying that but like feeling all the way out to the fingertips and then feeling the fingers from the inside feeling the depths the edges the surface all the way into the center 
and just like filling the body of awareness with that kind of awareness of that surface of the body but then into the depths of the body and that can be an interesting way of doing it like filling the body with water and then feeling the edges the skin the surface as containing that that body of water can be just a way into a deeper um, embodiment with more attention to the details the shape of the body and of course like as we meditate you might begin to notice that the body takes many shapes in our attention sometimes the body is like right here that's it that's all we're aware of right behind the eyes or the head and other times you know we feel just parts of the body the parts that are tense or tight or that we're in some kind of resistance or fight with and then other times we can feel the body in a more spacious way or we can feel the fluidity of the body or the breath and other times maybe we can feel the depths of the body so there's so there's so much to discover there and water like the earth element which we talked about last week it has this grounding quality it has a kind of heaviness a weighted weightiness a downward movement so when you're feeling like too much in the head which can have more of an airy quality water calls us back like the Taoists observed water call, flows down and it calls us back down into the into the depths of the body but down into the ground into our connection to the earth so as I said throughout the meditation traditions we encounter these analogies of water and water is is used and bodies of water are used to convey uh, states of mind or an orientation of attention so one of the um, particular places that you find this analogy of water invoking is the sense of, of stillness and the sense of flow or the sense of depth and the sense of movement on the surface. And so it's like an invitation to hold this, this seeming paradox that isn't really um, a paradox of opposite, opposites, but actually is contained within one being, one body of water. So one analogy that's used in, to more emphasize the flowing nature is this river. And the mindfulness traditions really like bring this one alive, inviting us to just feel whatever's happening as the flow of water, especially in, in meditation. It's pointing to how we can have this relationship to experience where we're less involved in trying to make it better, changing how it feels, um, judging it, and we can just like, in a way, like step back and just let it flow. Because that's what we'll do if we're not getting all involved, if we're not trying to push away or we're not holding on to, not identifying with, not fighting with. Experience just flows. It can be beautiful to like, that's, that's like the letting go we're talking about. Often when we say letting go, we're not saying, let go of that thought like get rid of it 
we're saying let go and see that it, it will go on its own. It will flow on its own. Let, let go in the sense of, you know, I've, I've used this analogy before, like open the hand of thought. Open that, that hand of identification or reification with some experience and just let, let it express itself the way it will and when, when, we, when we do that, we begin to notice that all sensation has a flow, a movement. And if it doesn't, we can get curious about that. Oh, I feel something that feels stuck. Does, what happens if I, if I zoom in there? And you might notice that often if something feels stuck, there's either a thought or a belief attached to that that's, getting, like, that's becoming reified. Um, or like from a distance, it felt stuck, but when we get closer to it, we notice that there is actually movement. There is a coming and going of sensations. And one of the ways I often talk about that is like, it's an invitation to peel off the label. So we might notice something stuck. And as we like zoom in and get closer, we might notice, oh, I'm calling that anxiety and then I'm relating to my label that I have put on that and I don't like anxiety so I'm kind of fighting with it or trying to avoid it or trying to kind of box it up and and stay away from it or you might notice that with tension I always notice that with tension if I have tension and I say oh there's tension in my belly like I'm already like kind of at a distance to it relating more to the concept than the actual experience, even if I'm feeling the experience. But if I get curious and like relax that label, relax the, the words that I'm calling it, it becomes more free. I'm just like doing that as I'm speaking. I like notice, oh, I have some tension in my stomach. And if I like let go of the word tension, like something begins to change or soften and I begin to notice movement or space that I didn't notice before. So it can be powerful, a powerful exploration just even into this um, relationship between labeling and um, how we re react to labels. Now, on another side, sometimes labeling experience can be a skillful means like we need to get distance we've been like over identified with anxiety we've just been swimming in our anxiety or swimming in our reactivity and then when we like kind of wake up enough to be like oh my gosh that's anxiety like that can be helpful like to to step back and be able to view it um, in a more objective way so like you know every teaching we give always has another side and sometimes i like to point out that other side and Sometimes I don't have time to point out all the other sides, so you might know <laughs> notice some of the other sides on your own, too. And then another way that the river analogy is used that I really love, and I'm just going to touch this one lightly, is an invitation to observe the, the thought stream as, as a river, as a flow, as a flow of experience. So this is something that you can do in meditation. And it's a way I've found 
like especially if you notice you have a habit around like sitting down to meditate and then you might get caught in thought and then you feel like oh I should be not thinking right now or I should be like there there becomes like a tangle around like meditation is about not thinking or is about um, being separate separate from thoughts or about observing thoughts or just like and you notice you kind of get into this like an ideal meditation would mean I'm have a perfectly quiet mind so I'm going to push away thoughts or I'm going to fight with myself for thinking so one one thing we can do there similar to when we're like fighting with internal experience is is get curious about well, what what is my actual experience of thought and this can have amazing repercussions in our daily life because if we actually study thought we can see that it's flowing and you can notice like oh when i grab a hold of a, a certain thought then it can get it can get stagnant or i can get off but but thoughts themselves they have a movement like actually it's it's impossible to grab a hold of a thought you might get on a thought stream and then kind of get carried by thought but it's constantly changing it's like the moment we become aware of it oftentimes and this can be a really liberating experience the moment we become aware of thought it often dissipates and then we're left with even if it's just for a moment, we're left with this quiet presence. We're left in awareness. And then I might get covered up by, by thought or we might get completely identified with the next moment of thought. But then we recognize all oh, the thinking again and, and then thought becomes you know, part of the experience. In the Buddhist tradition, thought is another sense, so it becomes part of the experience. One of the senses, just like hearing or seeing is a sense, thought too is a sense. So it can also be studied, just like we can be aware of the flow of the breath, we can be aware of the thought stream. And sometimes you, like we can practice that as a practice in the beginning of a meditation session, just to like begin to practice relating to the thinking mind in that same way. Oh, it's just sensations happening. You can get curious about how do you experience those sensations? Do they have a touch quality? Are they mostly visual? Are they mostly chatting? Many people report like their thoughts change like as their meditation deepens. And it goes from like mostly chatty, talking about, thinking about what's next, what's going to happen, processing the day to like, you know, deeper levels of thoughts coming up more as image, maybe memory, maybe something that is like kind of working itself out. And then like more like dreamlike images sometimes. And of course, there's all kinds of variety to this, but that sometimes happens. You can There's like noticeable shifts in how thought is experienced as we meditate. And that often is maybe like, maybe in a meditation session, but also maybe more in, in a retreat scenario. 
So then from river we have lake. Lake is another analogy that's often used, uh, another body of water that's used to describe the nature of experience. And with lake, it's like a clear lake, like a clear still lake that reflects everything, reflects the sky, reflects your reflection if you were standing in front of it, reflects the landscape surrounding it. Perhaps you have encountered lakes like this, which can be beautiful to recall and sit as that lake. I don't know if anyone's been to Crater Lake, but I remember just walking next to it and feeling just this pull of stillness and quiet. This quality of lake in the way that I'm talking about it, it, it's beginning to hold both. So it's pulling us more into the stillness aspect. So there's flow and we can be totally aware of flow. We can let ourselves be sitting as river, everything flowing, everything changing. But there's one who's aware of that flowing. And Lake reminds us that that one who's aware is still, is experienced as still. And this is, again, like skillful means separating movement and stillness just to talk about it. Just to point out that aspect of our experience that there's the one who is still, we often call awareness itself. And in the lake analogy, the one who's still, awareness itself is like that clear reflecting mirror, that clear pool. And this is the sake of the analogy in Buddhism. There's a lot more that's going on in a lake, but this is the point that, that it's pointing out is that there's this still clear pool of mind that acts like a mirror and just reflects. So anything can come in front of it and the mirror will just hold it, allow it. And that's happening in the river analogy but now we're emphasizing that there's this stillness as well. Because sometimes when we're aware of just flow, it can be exhausting. <laughs> if we forget that there's also that stillness and we can take deep refuge in that stillness, the stillness of the lake reflecting. And it's not like that we disassociate from the reflections but we have more resource in that lake to just be. And that resource can be found in, in deep embodiment, it can be found in attention to the breath, it can be found in this quality of recognizing awareness, or recognizing the one who is aware, which we feel it in, in qualities like stillness, like quiet, like a sense of peace. And then I feel like the analogy that puts those two together the best is the ocean. So now sitting as an ocean, which is expansive. So now we're bringing in that quality of expansiveness or spaciousness, another quality of awareness. 
and, and in this ocean there are waves on the surface and those waves refer to just how experience happens, how things appear, the emotional knots we get tied up in, the thoughts we get tied up in, the beliefs sometimes are crashing, crashing, crashing. But it also is reminding us that that same ocean is expansive and deep. Deep, 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 deep. And we're all of that. We are the depths of the ocean. We are that expansiveness of the depths of the ocean. And those tangles of thoughts, those emotions, those conflicts, they're happening on the surface. And sometimes, yes, very important, and we need to engage with them as skillfully as we possibly can. And we don't have to forget the depths. The depths, again, are our refuge, just like the stillness in the lake is our refuge. The depths are our refuge, the quiet, the darkness, that bottom of the ocean. That's like our resourcefulness, resilience. And that's, that's our awareness itself. That's our awake awareness, which allows, yeah, the whole display of life to happen on that surface. And, and yet there are also the depths and they're inseparable. But sometimes w when we're too engaged with the surface, it can be helpful to, to learn to begin to recognize the depths. And that's part of what Zazen is all about, what meditation is all about, is getting tastes of that, that we can bring uh, or recognize more in all aspects of experience because our awareness is always with us. So these qualities of stillness, spaciousness, silence, peace, depths, always with us. Our attention just sometimes gets more fixated on conflicts or more fixated on the waves. 